welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Back for another Knock On Podcast. Sitting in my office right now with two good friends. It's almost like a reunion because the two of us have done a podcast concluding a fun guy weekend last time. Now we're doing the same thing. I've got Jim Miller and Torsten Luth with me. So what's up, guys? Say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. (laughs) How's everybody? (laughs) We're... um, we're actually a little bit sluggish this morning, and I need to apologize because I'm a little late on podcast this week, and I was hoping that we were going to have a little bit more live streaming because um, this week was actually kind of my annual um, Knock and Tom's turkey hunt that I do. I normally have uh, one season here in Iowa where um, some of my non-resident buddies can come in and for non-residents here, it's only like a four-day hunt. So it's kind of good timing, and we had a ton of stuff kind of planned for all of us to do. But honestly, everybody was on such different schedules in their turkey blinds that we ended up, you know, it's almost like the fact that we had we had things that we wanted to do. Nothing got done <laughs> other than we all hunted at different times, practiced at different times, and we only kind of all came together when we ate. That was about it. Yeah. And definitely like the yesterday, the last day, having everybody in there for a couple hours when we were making the the food and the, the mushrooms and all that stuff. It was, it, was, it was cool to be around everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because we hadn't had that. And the group was fairly big. So we were actually divided. Some of us stayed at my house and then some of us stayed down by the school so it was uh we couldn't we couldn't like stay up at all wee hours of the night but all of us shot birds um chad mendez shot a bird um ben had a really good opportunity um at a bird and it just didn't work out so all in all it was a pretty awesome four days not to mention some guys didn't even get to hunt a full four days because season started the day after easter this year so some people came in a day late but um yesterday uh ben was the only one hunting in the morning so all of us went out looking for morel mushrooms and you know had you had you found them before no you hadn't torsten have you i hadn't even seen them before (laughs) yeah i didn't even know what they looked like so (laughs) learned that um you know yeah, and Chad had never either, so we ended up finding probably about three pounds of mushrooms and cooked mushrooms with um, all of our wild turkey breasts. It was really, really awesome, um, and yeah, I can't say enough about that. What This was Torsten's um, first hunt, so maybe what did you what did you expect? What happened that you didn't expect and what do you think of it because obviously you're new to it you're from new york 
even though you're German. And uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. This was a lot of uh, stimulus. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, Great fun. Um, It was as much fun as I thought it would be. Um, One of the things, obviously, I shot the first bird and I shot the bird um, Monday morning, what, at 11 or 12-ish. So I tagged out by Monday lunchtime. So my (laughs) my four-day hunt really happened in five hours on... Monday morning, and then I've been what manning the kitchen, um, <laughs> which <laughs> which was good fun. Um, but yeah, super interesting. Learned a lot of thing about about turkeys, which obviously we don't have turkeys in Germany, so I didn't grow up around them. Yep. And um, learned a lot about wildlife. Um, saw things I'd never seen before. Um, it was it was really good. So if there's if there's non-hunters listening that are kind of on the fence about doing it, which I've actually met several from, mainly from cities, there's like a big movement right now and people that are wanting to start, you know, trying to get their own food. And, you know, you were kind of in that category too. So I think Turkey is a really good place for people to start. Um, because a lot, you know, if you're a bow hunter, especially it's really helpful if you do some scouting, you have a blind, um, put a blind out in an area where you know the turkeys are and, you know, even though you call to them and the perfect thing, it's just like with elk, ideally, you know, the sun comes up, you hear a couple bugles, you get close to the bugles and then you start, you know, talking to them and then they just get interested and come right in you have a perfect shot that's a perfect world but the reality is they kind of have their own um, schedules too and this is one thing that if you're new to turkey hunting or even if you're a turkey hunter and you haven't been as successful as um, as you want to be then what I can tell you is being in the area where you know they are and then really learning to be patient. I actually, um, just based on how the turkeys reacted this week, I knew that most of our opportunities were going to come later in the morning because, you know, these toms, they have their patterns with their hens and they're going to maintain that pattern until all the hens start getting on their nests. And then, then they start getting interested in, other ladies in the area so that's what happened with us we had several turkeys that were close by but really didn't show interest in coming in so we got to experience you know them strutting putting on their whole show and talking and all that stuff got to see a lot of deer and then late morning all of a sudden here here one comes back to where he heard something calling to him earlier in the day and uh, yours came just before lunch. Mine came after lunchtime. Jim, you shot yours at three o'clock. Yeah. You'd been in your blind ten, 10 hours. hours. Yeah, ten hours. Um, but this is all super useful for people out there. You know, it, it, I've said it a lot in regards to deer hunting. There's a big, big difference between people who always seem to be successful when they hunt and then people who don't and 
it seems like to me the people that have success are people that are that are willing to just put in a lot of time and not feel like they have to come out just because they're not seeing something for four or five hours. I mean, the reality is, you know, things in the wild don't just move around and, you know, be on display the entire day. They have times where they feed, they have times where they travel, they have times when they, you know, when they're sleeping. And, you know, you just have to be able to have as least amount of impact within that routine as possible. And by that, I mean, every time you go into a blind and out of a blind, um, you know, you're imprinting danger within, you know, within the animal kingdom, I guess, because they see this human going back and forth. They're not going to come and talk to you or anything. So, you know, you're pretty much running everything out. So that's why I really like to be in, in the dark, out in the dark. You know, I know a lot of these whitetails that are in here right now, um, there's a lot of sheds on the floor or, well, they're, there's way too many in here. They're European heads, but, um, Anyway, most of these I can guarantee you have come from not the time where most people would want it to be. Whereas you know a lot of people want the first hour of daylight or the first or the last hour of dark. A lot of these come in the middle of the day, late mornings, early afternoons, and you have to be able to do that. And you also have to not have an imprint. But with turkey hunting, it was the same way. We we just um, you know, some of the guys that came were used to running and gunning, so to speak, where you always going after the turkey, no matter where he's gobbling from. But um, I just do a lot of scouting with, I put stealth cams out in all the places. Um, actually, me and Torsten's, uh, we shot uh, our birds out of the same blind on the same day. And I actually had stealth cam pictures that my buddy had got for me that showed um, two toms coming to this field a lot of times after 10 a.m. and then a lot of times after 1 uh, 1 p.m. So we knew going in there that we were going to be sitting in there, you know, we were going, yeah, we were going to go for the day. And uh, because we didn't come out when it was... Because it was pretty slow from 8 to 10. Yeah, we were ready to... I mean, we had... Once I'd shot... My bird, I think we were sitting there for another hour or two, and then I think lunch called, and we were like wondering whether we should leave or not. And then we saw the king of the field slowly strutting up from the right, yeah, and changed our plan again. And you know, yet again, if we had left just because we were hum- hungry or needed mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom or were bo- bored after seven hours or how long we had been in there, then we would have missed that. Yep. So it's definitely something where, in this case, patience is a virtue. What, um, for a first-time bow hunter, because this is stuff that I take for granted and I forget, but what are things that you experience that you say, I would for surely do this different, or I would for surely pack different this way if I went to a hunting camp again? I mean, what are some of those things for people out there who are just trying to like figure out what do I do? Well, I think, you know, bringing enough clothes is important and bringing layers of clothes that you can constantly adjust yourself to the weather because it does get miserably cold and it does get super hot. So (laughs) to be prepared for all of that and have it in a way that you can 
you know, be warm in the morning and be kind of be like cool when the sun burns on that that blind five hours later is something that, you know, I understand performance, you know, layered clothes now. Um, I think that things one learns is keep your broadheads away from your strings. <laughs> That's like super important, which yeah. is obviously, which is obviously, you know, a natural thing. You keep knives away from strings, but once you see that broadhead touching that string it's just really different than what you expect happens um so that's a lesson He's speaking from experience um and this is i'm going to touch on that because this is really important um a lot of guys even at our camp there were you weren't the only one that did it but uh guys have their bow cases open their bow case is kind of their little home base they put their bow in there and a lot of times we practiced uh, we'd shoot around camp some, some people would shoot their broadheads and then all of a sudden it'd be like, Hey, dinner's ready. And everyone would come in and just throw their bows down, throw their arrows in there. Well, you know, the next morning you go to pull your bow out of the case, not remembering that you had laid broadheads on, you know, broadheads were on your arrows that were laid in there. And then it just takes one teeny tap. I mean, because there's so much tension on that string that just one little nick and it's a lot of times it's over. Um, Torsen luckily had one, maybe two strands that held that whole thing together. Yeah. And I was also lucky that I was here and you had, um, <laughs> and you had like a cable that I could use. So that, which brings me to the next thing. Um, when people tell you that it's really cool to have a second string set in your bag, mm-hmm. Like then it's not it. like for example you <laughs> constantly then it's not just something that is really cool to listen to but it becomes real helpful when you actually need it <laughs> so um i mean we were lucky we had this cable here but if we hadn't had that cable then my four days of fun with a bow would have been to reduced um to one day of fun with a bow and three sad days without a cable yeah so that's like super important i would <clears throat> You know, and I ordered new strings already, but I literally ordered two complete sets. I would never, ever go anywhere without a second set of strings. Well, I feel like if people just get in the habit of when they buy a bow, they replace they replace their factory set of strings and cables. And what I like to do is I like to just take that factory set of strings and cables, just halfway set it up to where you, you, know, you get your twists and everything to where your draw length's right. Go ahead and put knocks and peep and everything in there and mark those areas. Um, and then, you know, once you have it really how you feel like you're going to you're gonna shoot it well, then mark your cams with a pen using the limb as a reference. And then take your replacement set and replace the factory set um, and just... Add or add your twists into your strings or cables so that those those marks that you had just made are right back to the exact same position, and just retie in your knock points and your peep sight, and then take that factory set, put it in a baggie, and set that in your travel case, and just make sure it you know that's in the travel case all the time, and you know that's a super valuable tip. Um, another thing that's in my travel cases, um, I always carry like a compression sleeve. Um, I've got a compression sleeve and I've got, um, 
a small piece of a chamois that I keep in my travel case. So if I am ever on a hunt and it's wet, um, if I know it's going to be rainy, I really like to have that compression sleeve so I can pull it over my rain jacket so I don't have to worry about hitting, you know, a baggier arm, arm cuff. Um, and then I really like to take that chamois and be able to keep it inside of my rain jacket pocket to where I can wipe down my bow. If, you know, if you're hunting and it's just downpouring, it's nice to be able to just soak that main water off and keep it out of the gears of your sight. Um, you know, try to keep it off, keep your, you know, your arrow rest as dry as possible. Especially if you have like a cable slide, like an older style cable slide, being able to dry that off a little bit. Um, all that's really, really important for being able to maintain accuracy in, in that type of weather too. And these are things that I've talked about in the past and people yeah. don't really... Yeah, but... Until no you, like like you said, until you've experienced the why did he say that, then, you know, now you kind of totally got it. Um, yeah, and I'm sure I got it before. It's just like it goes into one ear and goes out of the other because you carry so many things around and then you go... Well, you know what? I've never really needed a string. Why am I, am I really schlepping this string with me? Well, I would, as I said, I would never go without <laughs> a, a spare set anywhere else again. Because, you know, as I said, if he hadn't been here, this would have been a, a sad experience. Mm -hmm. Four days on a bow hunt without a bow makes for for unpleasant hunting. Like a bow hunt without a bow is just not the same. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's It would have got crazy trying to hand wrestle one. Um, I've seen it, but I don't know if you're at that level yet. The, what's funny is that recommendation for that actually came from an experience of me doing what you did. Um, I was up in Alberta. It's kind of a long, crazy story, but um, I went up to Alberta hunting. This was probably 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, a couple things. One... I was up and, you know, cell phones weren't as, they didn't have the type of coverage they have now. So there just really wasn't things like that. Plus, from our industry's point of view, we didn't do a lot of shipping direct to people in Canada. So you kind of had to go through, you know, the, the customs process and going through a Canadian distributor and all that stuff was kind of a, a lengthy process. It actually gave me a whole new appreciation for guys and gals that are up in Canada and you know if something like they have a warranty issue you know just the fact that it's that big of a pain in the butt to like be on hold but I went up and I was going on this moose hunt which I was really excited about and this is back when I had like one one week of vacation at work that was it so this was my one week that I took vacation from work I flew up to Alberta I was super excited. I actually, it was the only hunt at the time that I'd ever paid a camera person to come because I really wanted to get it on film. I really wanted a moose. And they were confident that I was going to get one. So I took um, one of my buddies, Roger Pat. I think it was Roger. Yeah, I think it, well, yeah, well, whoever it was, I think it was Roger. But we went up there and... Evidently for me carrying the camera bag and my backpack and sitting on like a small plane I had a bigger person next to me. So I was leaning against the window and I think I was just in that position for so long We landed at the airport. I grabbed my bags and 
when I met the guy that was guiding me, I grabbed my backpack and kind of went to throw it around my shoulder. And when I did that, I like my lower back went out and I was like, Oh, you know, and I like grabbed my back and I was kind of like hobbling over to the car and they're like, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I just kind of like tweaked my back. And it was one of those deals where you feel like it's going to go away, but you know, it's that little bitty muscle in your back that just like totally immobilizes you. So for days, it was two, two or three days. I was just laying in this guy's bed in his basement. I couldn't, couldn't move. I could. Every time I got up, I'd be bent over and I'd be holding my back. Meanwhile, my camera guys just like sitting there. You know, they're and my guide. They're just like, well, you know, what can we do for you? And I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know. And I kept saying, you know, can you find me a, can you find me like a masseuse or something? So they ended up finding this uh, this lady that did the hot rocks, and two guys came. They kind of carried me in the car and they took me to this lady's place. Um, and they waited outside, and I went in there, and it was my first experience with hot rocks. And she ended up having to do like two, you know, like a kind of a double dose. Like she did her whole thing to the point where the rocks were cold, so she had a whole nother big, big ass like cooking pot of these things and started laying these rocks on me. And I mean, sometimes some of them were so hot that that oil would sound like sizzling bacon. (laughs) But after about, I would say two hours, two and a half hours, I had this big, huge rock sitting on my lower back and it just felt, it felt like an oven. And then all of a sudden I could just feel it like relax and I started to turn to the side and then my whole back just racked and I literally said, I'm better. And she's like, what? And I said, yeah, I said, I'm better. And I, I sat up and I swear I could spin my freaking head around like an owl. It was like the limberest I'd ever been. And I remember running out of that house. I was so happy because I had three days left of the hunt. And I'm like, yeah, dudes, let's freaking go. And they're like, you know, what the heck? They couldn't believe it that I ran out <laughs> like that. So we go out, we get in this Argo, we go way back in, way back in the bush um, with this thing. And then we get out of the Argo and we're walking for a ways and we get way back in there and we kind of sit and we wait for about an hour until everything really quiets down. And he looks at me and says, uh, he says, are you ready? And I said, yeah. So he starts calling and calling. Next thing you know, a bull grunts back. And then a bull grunts back again. Then also we look across this meadow and here steps out this nice Canadian moose, probably 40 incher, you know. And he's coming. The guide looks at me and he's like, give me the thumbs up. Like, get ready. He's coming. He's coming. And this moose started coming, the camera's rolling. And um, this was back when I still shot a wrist strap release. So the bull's getting really close. So I, I go to clip my release on the string and the loop is facing the bow. So I'm like, what the heck? So I kind of start spinning the loop around on my serving so it faces back to me and I put my release on and I kind of 
go to pick the bow up and I see the peep is facing the bow. So I'm like, what the heck? So then I look down and down on the bottom of my string, there was one strand holding my string together. And I literally am sitting there and this moose is like 40 yards broadside grunting. And I've got a bow with like one string holding this whole thing together. So the moose ended up walking around for a while and I was just telling the, I kept telling the guide like, I can't shoot. Well, he kept thinking I was mean, like I don't have a shot. And meanwhile, he's, I'm sure he's thinking, how do you not have a shot? There's (laughs) this 800 pound animal standing in front of you at 40 yards in a meadow. I mean, and, and so finally the bull figures things aren't right and he hauls butt. And then the guy comes over and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, my freaking strings cut. And what happened was this was back when I used to wear a cat quiver, um, a Rancho Safari cat quiver. And the way the cat quiver works is you push your arrows up in this, you know, I've got one of those, yeah. you've got one. And the problem is on the bottom, you know, you push your arrow, the knock end of your arrow up inside of this, like, you know, it's almost like a backpack with a hole up under it. So you push the arrows up in there and when you do it, it compresses foam and then you move your arrow into this little trough and you let it down. And it's nice because you can reach around your back and you can pull the, lift the arrow up, you can slide it out. I mean, it's from that aspect, it's awesome. The problem was... I had mine, I had mine attached to my backpack. So it was actually sticking more out on the side of me instead of being on my back. So when I was walking with my bow like this, I remembered one time my string had was kind of like caught in something. And so I kind of picked my bow up and kind of like pulled it out. And I figured it had just like the, you know, I figured like the axle had, caught one of my loops or something on my backpack well the string was actually inside of my broadhead trough and i freaking jerked it out of there and luckily it didn't completely come apart so already this trip is kind of turning out to be a trip from hell right (laughs) so to make matters worse told you this would be a long story but to make matters worse i was I was working for Matthews at the time, and it wasn't, most people back then didn't have string jigs that would build 100 inch strings because single cam bows were still fairly new to the market. So, especially up in nowhere, Canada, there's not a Yellowstone string jig that's got, not to mention, people don't have those length of strings in stock and to make it even worse than that i was up there with the prototype bow that we had and it was like you know it was this prototype that we ended up never coming out with and it needed a 107 inch string so it's like i can't call our distributor up there i can't I mean, the only way I can get a string is to call down to the factory say dudes get me a freaking string up here you're not going to get one next day air, you know, it's going to be two or three days to clear customs. And then I'm on my way back. I would have hated myself. (laughs) I mean, I hated myself for like the half day that I was running around really sad with my card string. 
But if that would have happened to me, <laughs> my self-loathing would have gone through the roof in a rather dangerous way. Well, so here's what my options were. I had, uh, I, I had to call around town. The guy I was with knew a guy in town that made recurve strings. Or had made some recurve strings. So we got a hold of this guy and he said, yeah, I've got a serving tool and I've got some... I think it was like B50 string material. I mean, this stuff is like not good for the time. So I ended up taking two, uh, two framing nails and nailing them on the top of this guy's deck boards at 108 inches because I needed, I knew I needed to twist it down a full inch. So freaking hand wrapped this thing and served this, you know, and if anyone ever remembers a single cam bows, the servings would go from like, especially for the idler wheel where it went around the top, those servings would be like 25 inches long. So I'm sitting there with this old crappy serving jig, like spinning this thing around. Meanwhile, I've got this string strung out on this deck with like hardly any tension on it. It was like a floppy rubber band. But I made the string, twisted it down, and now comes pressing the bow part. All we had was like this handmade thing that this dude had where, you know, you kind of crank this big thing around with your hand and it started to press on the, the bow, but it was definitely not healthy for the limbs. So we would, we would got, we took a while. We got the string on there and literally I pulled it back one time and by the time i pulled it back this the peep was just moving like it was just turning because <laughs> the string had so much settling to do so i'm just like oh my gosh i had to just sit there at full draw while the peep was turning around and then when i could finally see through the peep i'd get my pin on the target and punch the trigger yeah. <laughs> to try to get sighted in so that's uh yeah i ended up taking and i i knew then i'm like well there's no point in me trying to get this string to settle so I went out, we pretty much got myself a, a decent mark at 20 yards. And I said, okay, we're just going to need to get one close. And yeah, we had one day left to hunt and we went out with one day left to hunt and amazingly called the moose in. The moose was coming, got to like 40 yards. I knew that I had to shoot it with like a disco ball moving peep. So I wasn't going to shoot it too far and... A bunch of horses ended up running in like a bunch of like wild stallions or something that were out in this big they call it um they call it i think they call it crown land up there so a bunch of horses came running in uh or got spooked from this bull coming in and yeah needless to say that was um that was my first moose hunt but it is the reason why I always go with a spare set of bowstrings. It's a, it's a good. <laughs> Come on, Jim. Do you that have a sad a, story like that? Yeah, that was a long story. <laughs> <laughs> it was long and sad. Yeah, I um, almost had a sad story this week. What was it? Which part? What do you mean? Just down, not being able to close the deal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you had... Um, I had to sit for 10 hours in the stand. You did. Yeah. You well, did. three days. Our buddy, um, our buddy Adam took 
Jim out. So we're ever grateful to Adam for doing that. But uh, what was there anything that we did here hunting wise that you think we could talk about that could help people? Um, is there anything different that we did compared to things that you've done out east? I, I, I definitely, you already touched on it, the, um, the timing of it. Uh, my, all the experiences that I have with, with turkey hunting, and I'm relatively new to turkey hunting. Um, I've only been doing it for three or four years. only have harvested one bird with a shotgun, so... That's a, that's kind of a negative point right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> but my my experience has always been uh, early. You know, they come in early, and if you don't see anything by ten o'clock, you're not going to see anything. And we didn't we didn't have birds around us um, in the mornings until ten thirty. You know, we could we could hear them uh, in roost and. Um, when they were coming down chasing the hens but and then they'd get quiet yeah then they'd get quiet they'd be moving around and they they never never came in until at least 10 30 and then we would have the first morning we had birds around us uh for like three hours um so it was it was definitely like i i i didn't realize that it would be more of a, a midday thing yeah you know and, and like i said i always thought it was a morning morning hunt and all right <laughs> go have cocktails a, the rest of the day and well it's, it's a midday thing that you still have to show up very early yeah for. that's true. it's not a that's midday true. thing that you can walk into midday at 11 mm-hmm. and you're done by one it's like you're starting your midday thing at five <laughs> yeah and then you're middaying for about seven to eight hours yeah well yeah. i actually i don't think there's a problem i think if you're if you're only wanting to hunt for a few hours, I would say you're better off. I would say you if if you had four days to hunt for three hours at a time, you're more likely to get a gobbler going out at 10.30 and hunt until 1 o'clock and going out and calling. Because if if you can get a turkey to gobble back after 11 o'clock, that turkey will come in. I mean, that that's a done deal. If he's, um, all of his hens will be on nest by then, and if he's looking and, and responds during that time of the day, he's responding because he's 100% interested. Um, I mean, right now it's 9.30 in the morning here. I can tell you I've got one more turkey tag. <laughs> I don't know if I will or not, but I would totally just, drop you guys off at the airport and then go go straight to straight out and get in a blind at 10:30. Like for me to go out and hunt from 10:30 to 1:30, I would be I would rather do that than than get up and hunt from, you know, 6 a.m. until 9 a.m. because that's kind of like a one and done. If they pitch down and come right in then you got them but if they're not going to do that and they're going to hang out with their with their friends for a few hours you're you're screwed um well what uh the good thing about this whole trip for jim we don't want him to end on a sad story (laughs) the very positive thing for jim is he is no longer um 
alone with being someone um, who has shot part of my personal property. Um, so literally it's an exclusive group though. Yeah, it's a pretty exclu- exclusive group. I went hunting with Ben for uh, a few hours and I come back and Chad Mendez had tried one of my releases. He actually tried to knock to it and um, d- and he had saw Torsten and um, Ben shooting the silverback. So he actually uh, started to pull his bow back and then thought, oh crap, I got to hold the safety down. And he just hit the trigger with using a knock to it. So he just airballed a arrow right into my main knock on banner that's like 10 feet above my freaking bales and puts a arrow through my wall so i'm like i come back and i'm like dude who shot my freaking wall and then chad's like i can't get it out and i'm like yeah you're not gonna get it out leave it in there at least now it's like airtight so i didn't really think nothing of it i mean we've all been there so I went out for another evening hunt with Ben, come back, and Torsten's got this look on his face like, so I'm going to pay you back for your uh, for your drywall. And I'm like, what'd you do? And I went out there, and Torsten, um, evidently, he's got a little more penetration in his setup put one through that wall and through the outside of my steel building. So, so yeah, there were various things to it. A, I want to <laughs> give a shout out to Eastern Autumn Orange 6mm Full Metal Jacket because the penetration of those things is just amazing and they look cool. Um, yeah, and then Jim and I, like, <laughs> so, so the arrows in the wall... And I'm like, yo, Jim, what are we going to do? And he was like, well, it wasn't actually his problem, it was mine. But, you know, <laughs> I just needed someone to talk to. And um, so um, I pulled it out and and you could literally see, it was, a bright, it was bright at that time. Mm-hmm. It was like, it looked like, you know, in a, a horror pre- movie when someone shoots through a wall on Friday the 13th and you see the light coming through like a laser beam. <laughs> and because I hadn't shot as high as Chad, it was literally, you would have looked at your target and your eyesight would have hit that hole and it would have looked at you. So there was no way of, we couldn't get away with not saying anything either. So we went outside and put the sheet metal back together, hoping that it would cover like, make it look as not as bad as it was, but that didn't help. Mm. Um, so yeah, we had to we had to add up to it, but um, yeah, as I said, shout out to Eastern Full Metal Jacket. These things work. I'm gonna have to reinforce that back wall. I think I need to have like half inch steel plating. Yeah, put some in a, board. huh? <laughs> some cement board or something. I wonder what would be the best thing. Yeah, I've definitely got to do something with that. Um, it's pretty cool. This whole group. We've got this this crazy uh, synergy going because uh, we were talking about like Jim um, has a really good MMA school, Miller Brothers MMA, and his logo is two of Thor's hammer. Um, And tell us this relationship because you two were like long lost brothers last (laughs) night, like talking about the whole correlation between 
names and hammers and I was pretty hammered so I don't remember it all but it sounded cool <laughs> I think over. last night yeah we were just talking about uh, you know I the reasoning that I, I went with the logo um, is because Miller means you know someone who crushes or grinds and uh, the name of Thor's hammer is, is Mjolnir which is Miller. Yeah, basically Miller in, in Norse, which is the crusher of mountains. And Yeah, so the name so <laughs> the word Miller comes from the Nordic word Mjolnir, and Mjolnir was Thor's hammer. And uh, because that's what he crushed things with, and that's where the modern word Miller comes from. And my name's Torsten, and Torsten is literally Thor's stone, and Thor's stone is the hammer, and the <laughs> hammer is Mjolnir. So basically, Torsten and Miller it's is kind of the same thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. You two freaks are hammer brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we both like David Allen Coe. And we both like David Allen Coe. Shout out to him. Yeah, well, he listens to the podcast a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but no, this is, we've got to get you two to the airport. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back. Um, I'm going to put down a podcast here um, in the next day or so, jumping into some questions. I've got a bunch of Q&As that I've kind of put onto a list that I want to go over. Um, There's a lot of different products that are kind of out there right now that I want to talk about. Um, Some different things that I've been trying that I've I've had some interest in. Uh, We Most of us shot our birds with the um, that new Rage Turkey Extreme which is a new broadhead that's out. Um, i trying to think what else. There's a few different things I've been playing around with. I kind of forgot most of them because this week has been, has been nuts for, you know, it's been two weeks for me prepping and scouting and doing all that stuff, getting ready for these guys. And then they've been here and uh, now we've got, now I've got to clean up all of our disarray. So I think me and James are going to be, going to be occupied. Um, trying to get everything back to scratch and um, get everything pretty much ready to rock and roll for launching the new website next month. But um, one thing I do want to say, um, this is pretty important, uh, Silverbacks just came back in. Um, Literally right before we kicked on this podcast, um, another batch of Silverbacks just showed up. They're getting ready to go online today. Um, the people in the notify me, um, will get, they will be notified, but it's going to be first come first serve. So when they're gone, they're gone. And, um, unfortunately the, the supply is limited and the demand, um, at this point, thanks to all you listening has not been. So if you're wanting one of the silverbacks, you need to, uh, you need to jump on that. And then also, um, I'm getting the, to Today or tomorrow, the sample comes in for um, the mini silverback, which um, should be really cool. Um, I'm going to have Sharon and Harry shoot that. Um, We'll do a little thing about that. Um, And I may or may not decide to do a sign-up. So kind of scan my social media. um, And if you see a sign-up and if you're interested in a mini silverback for women or kids, uh, then... I might, it's kind of a long process to get something really customized like that. So I may, it's not going to be something I can continually order these. This is going to kind of be a one and done thing. So 
um, you need to be prepared for that when the time comes. But uh, you guys are awesome. We definitely gotta we gotta get together and do. Actually, Jim and I, um, Jim and I, also yeah. two brothers. Yeah, twins. <laughs> twins. I like how that. It's Mystica, dude. Is that something in this? <laughs> there, there, there's something floating around in here. But um, we're going to do a spot and stock bear hunt together. Uh, we're going to be up there. Uh, my hunting brother, Dusty, is going to be there. So that's going to be awesome. We'll be doing some. Uh, we won't have service for sure, but we will be doing some podcasts and crap like that. So it could be pretty good. Um, but th- hey everyone, I don't know what else to say. We're kind of, this was on a whim. We got to get to the airport and, uh, thanks for being patient and not seeing much social media for me, from me. You guys did more than I did. I was too busy trying to get people birds and clean birds and cook birds and pull arrows out of my wall <laughs> and fix bowstrings and we yeah. did it all really well. Yeah. Yeah. You did. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Totally appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, knock on everybody. See ya. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.